This is the perfect family scene. When Mom, Dad, and Junior all want to hear the same radio program. Welcome to the Earl Farrell Show. It's a mighty busy place when a broadcast is being made from the studio. Live from the AM 990 studios in East Memphis. And now, here's Earl Farrell. His job is to see that the broadcast proceeds smoothly and without breaks. Hey, Mr. Big TV Man, look here. We've got a very special guest coming up here in just a few minutes. We're going to be talking with Earl Hamner, of course, the creator of Walton's Mountain, Spencer's Mountain, the movie with Henry Fonda, Falcon's Crest, uh, Heidi. Uh, Wrote several episodes for uh, Twilight Zone. Absolutely. In fact, I saw an episode of uh, the Twilight Zone just the other night with Rod Sterling. What a magnificent. Uh, Submitted for your approval. One Mr. Miller was about to take a <laughs> That's good. He is. I mean, what a distinctive voice that guy had, Rod Sterling, and uh, and what a great show! And so many actors that you see today that have now you know had incredible careers well, started. Robert Redford. Robert Redford. Well, you see everybody on there, and uh, they were all uh, very young, and that was a great place for them to start off their uh, television and, and acting career. Sure. Uh, so we need to go take a break, and we come back. We're going to get Tommy uh, and his good friend Earl, and, and I'm now known as. Memphis Earl and, and Earl Hamner's known as West Coast Earl. It's like a couple of pool sharks, don't we? Well, before we do that, though, we're going to probably visit the stock market. We will. Uh, tough day on the stock market. We're going to check in uh, and find out just how tough. So stay with us right here on the Earl Farrell. Heading there right now, we're going to go to sunny Southern California and check in with our good friend Earl, or now he's now known as West Coast Earl Havner, because <laughs> I'm the I'm Memphis Earl. Good afternoon, Earl. Good morning. How you guys? Or good afternoon, whatever. Well, it's a good day, sir. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm, I can go along with that. It is certainly good to talk to you. I, I so thoroughly enjoyed our last conversation several months ago, and Tommy and I talk on a regular basis on on my show and. Uh, uh, we he's been keeping us up with you and your activities and your recent uh, uh, honors that you received there in Nelson County. Congratulations to you. Well, I thank you so much. It's good to be back with you. I always love hearing Tommy talk because he's got that beautiful accent, which I've lost. I <laughs> know you have a beautiful accent too. That you may have think you've lost it. As I did the other day, I was sitting there talking to a guest uh, yesterday, and she said, "Actually, when I talk to somebody from home, my accent comes back." I can remember I'd be going along talking like, you know, like a Californian, and then my mother would call, and I'd go on the phone, and instead of saying, hello, mother, I'd say, hey, mama. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, and that's what happens. When I get on the phone with anybody from Texas, I get right back into it, and uh, we're talking about Bavoir and uh, and uh, cutting we the bars. We can't go home again, but I guess we can. And, and that's what I was saying to this woman, and I told her, I said, she said uh, that, you know, she... Her daughter had a really heavy southern accent. And I said, where did she get it? Because she's not, uh, you don't have that much of an accent. She goes, well, she's lived in Memphis her whole life, and so that's her accent. She said, like your accent. And I said, well, I don't have an accent. She goes, yeah, you do. 
So apparently I do. I just don't uh, hear it, but it has yeah, proof. Well, some, sometimes I, I will uh, blurt out something, and people look at me strangely, and I say, well, I, it, English is not my first subject. <laughs> and they want to speak, and I said, I'm Southerner. <laughs> <laughs> I speak Southern. Uh, truly, I wish I'd spoke. You know, I've been away from the South for so long that I, 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 get, I get lonesome for it. But when I talk to somebody from, you know, like Tommy with a nice accent, it, it brings me right back. Absolutely. And, uh, and and see, I don't think Tommy has an accent. <laughs> so that's your ear becomes accustomed to it. And, it's, you know, I think it's the people, and I said this yesterday, from Jersey, they've got an accent. And uh, and the Midwest, I hear that. And, and, uh, and in California, there just isn't really an accent, which I said, there are, it's a really a, I like accents because it gives you a regional identity. And I think that's, in so many ways, the country has lost it. It has become homogenized. And so when I hear somebody with an accent and they apologize about it, I say, don't apologize. I think they're great. It's, it leaves some flavor to, to different parts of the country. I, I'm almost, more than accents. I'm, I'm troubled these days by the fact that people don't speak English. Everything is like, like you know, you know, me, you know, I mean, yeah, you, you know what I'm trying to like tell a, you. It's, like, you know, a, know I mean? like, uh, wow, like, uh, and like, and like, like, and like. Well, it is. It's a. It, 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 so when you run into somebody who is articulate, especially a young person, you, you go, hey you are something special. And I tell them to say, thank you for using, you know, being an intelligent person and speaking, you know, and, and whole sentences. Indeed. I always promised myself when I got to be an old guy, I would be very, very tolerant of young people. <laughs> I'm terrible. I, I'm totally unforgiving of what they do to the language today. Well, that's what I say to my producer, Cam. He's a, a few years younger than me. I said, Ooh, you're going to be so bad when you get to be my age because he's so intolerant now. <laughs> it's only going to get worse. Uh, Tommy, tell us about the the honor that Earl received here recently. Well, I mean, he's obviously more qualified to talk about it, but uh, he'll he'll be was, more glowing. He'll like he'll make it sound like it's no big deal. I I want to get the true picture. Well, it really was kind of prestigious, and uh, it, it was just up the road a little bit in Richmond. Uh, I was up there last week, as a matter of fact, or earlier this week. But uh, it was the uh, it was a lifetime achievement award given by the Library of uh, Virginia, and uh, surprisingly, the the person that that handed the award to him that presented it was Richard Thomas, who uh, actually played the character that in the Waltons that uh, you know was uh, basically mirroring some of Earl's childhood here in Nelson County, Virginia. So. Uh, I have a feeling that what you were probably uh, a little proud of that moment, Earl. <laughs> oh, am I? I'm still walking on clouds. You know, to have Richard come down from Richmond to make that award was to, to present the award was such a nice thing to happen because I always said that he did a better job of playing John Boy than I did of being <laughs> me. And, uh, you know, he, actually, he is known for that role, which and he's very proud of it. But he also, not long ago, was named our foremost Shakespearean actor. And he just done a production of Richard III. And, you know, to go from John Boy to Richard III is not easy. <laughs> and, and I'd heard that that was, is what he does now, is stage uh, performances and, and Shakespearean productions. But it has to be a great honor. And I understand that the entire, most of the, the cast of the Waltons uh, celebrated the 40th anniversary on the Today Show the other day. 
Yes, I, I, I was invited to be there, but I had just been in New York recently, and I'm just too old to turn around and go back again. I, don't, I, I get lost going through security, <laughs> and I lose my shoes. <laughs> you should start, we all get lost in that. We do. You should start wearing just slippers like the rest of us are. Already. I'll have just, to do. That. I'll go barefoot. Yeah, go barefoot. Hey, tell them you're from California. They won't. They won't think anything about it. The, right, of course. <laughs> but you know, and that's I did. We've got more time today, so I did want to go back and and kind of recount some of the the moments in your life. And, Cal, and New York is where you first went when you moved from Virginia. And what was it like then? Compared to what it's like today, because I feel the same way. Yeah, I could take New York for about a day and a half, and they got to get out of there. There's just too many people. <laughs> when, you know, when I first left Virginia? Right. Yeah. Well, when I first left Virginia, I, I was drafted into uh, the Army in World War II, and that was in 1942. And it was quite an abrupt change in life because going not only from uh, a different state but to a different country because I was I was sent overseas to France, and so switching from the backwoods of Virginia to Paris, France, is a long, <laughs> to a say long the least. They, they got funny accents over there too. <laughs> well, you know, it's real funny. I, I worked with French people in 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 a, in a quartermaster corps. We supplied supplies to uh, different companies that were stationed around Paris, and I worked with um, with French people. And I swear, when I got back to Virginia after the war, um, I was speaking French with a southern accent, <laughs> and nobody knew what I was saying, not even me. So is that what happened to Madonna? Because she, all of a sudden you hear her now, she's got an English accent. Yes. Is it, <laughs> if you go, so if you go to England, you end up with an English accent? I could see. I think people do have a tendency to pick up accents from... Wherever the, they are? Especially if they admire people there, you know. We, I guess, we all have an imitative uh, mechanism, and um, if we if we like something, we we want to acquire it, maybe, and 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 more or less blend with it too. Uh, I've always thought that if I actually had come home and speaking nothing but French, and uh, my father would say, "Boy, go to milk a cow," <laughs> and I'd say, "We, oui, papa." <laughs> <laughs> Cut your head off. You talk like that. <laughs> do you? Can you still speak fluent French, Earl? Actually, I do. Um, my wife and I were in uh, Paris not long, a couple of years ago, and um, we were traveling with another couple, and we had rented a car in Paris, and we're headed south, and the muffler suddenly started falling off. And the people we were with said, well, now you're up a tree. You claim you can speak French, but how are you going, do you know the word for muffler? <laughs> I said, God, no. But we pulled into the garage, and I said to the mechanic, uh, which means that thing is falling off. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you are. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, we're talking with Earl Hamner, of course, of the Walton, Spencer's Mountain, uh, the Homecoming. Uh, the list goes on and on. And we're going to take a quick traffic break. We'll be back. We've got uh, uh, some time he's been able to cut out for us today, and certainly honored and, and grateful for that he's back with us on the show today. we got Tommy Stafford out in his original home in Virginia, Nelson County. So it's a very enjoyable show. I hope you stay with us. Right now we're going to go to Samstown Traffic, Vegas action, Southern style, and here's a girl with a Southern accent, Heather York.
And welcome back to the Earl Farrell Show on a Thursday afternoon. And uh, what a what a great day it is here in Memphis. A beautiful day. We've had rain, uh, snow, and just about everything here over the last week. The first day the sun's really come out in about a week. And uh, uh, Tommy Stafford, who's on the line with us in Nelson County, Virginia, they got some of the stuff we had uh, just the other day. Things are improving there, but we're on the line also with Earl Hamner in uh, Hollywood. You're actually the Hollywood Hills, is that correct, Earl? Yeah, it's it's uh, up above Hollywood. It actually, it's in the uh, it's in a range of the Santa Monica Mountains, mountains which run from Hollywood all the way to the ocean. And uh, uh, people come out who, who realize that I lived in the hills of Virginia before, and uh, and, the, and to see the steep places where I live now, and they say, "What do you do when it snows?" <laughs> <laughs> because we do get snow in the mountains, but not where I live. But occasionally, but it's usually up around like Big Sur and places like that, you know, high up in the, what are the what is the mountain ranges to the east of you? The real high mountains, uh, the San Gabriel. San probably. Gabriel. Yeah, we we can see those from where we live, and actually, at the moment, they have a little touch of snow on them, which is nice. You, you real, real snow, not artificial. <laughs> Not the you come across, a lot of California snow is, is comes from machines. Well, uh, that does not shock me. Let me go back to, to when you when you did come back from World War II and, and living in France, and and you were you got you got your first job there in New York, correct? Uh, I got my first job in in Richmond, as a matter of fact. And um, the interesting thing was that when I uh, received that award in Richmond, I was on a radio station called WRVA. And I walked in, and I thought, I've been here before. It was this very same station that I had worked in, except it had changed its uh, call letters, and the uh, building was different. But right in the front were the initials of the station at the time that I had worked there, which was a long time ago. But isn't but that amazing, it's though? creepy feeling. Well, but, it, you know, it, there is something, though, about going back, and all of a sudden you realize, I've been here before. And then, exactly. and then you, you find out that you're not crazy. You really had been there before. Well, you know, the nice thing about it was that uh, uh, employers leaned over backward to give returning veterans a job. And sometimes you weren't even qualified for the job, but they would give it to you anyway. And, um, they, I, and I wasn't qualified for that job. I was an assistant to the program director. And, and I was it was a learning job. But employers were, were so thoughtful and generous in giving returning veterans jobs. And, and I hope that's true today. I'm, I'm sure it must be. We're still Americans, and we still appreciate what our fighting people do for us. Uh, you know, unfortunately, with the economy, a lot of these guys and ladies are coming back, and there's going to be a bunch of them here shortly that are going to right. come back. Yeah. And, and I, I, I do hope the economy improves and there are places for them. Unfortunately, we have a lot of... Um, Veterans who have come back that have not fared well, and I often wonder that whether your generation was mentally stronger than our generation now. Because there, my father, after going through four years of uh, war in Europe, he was in North Africa, then invasion of Sicily, invasion of Normandy, and you didn't come home. You, I asked him, I said, "Well, how did it work?" He said, "You signed up." You, I mean, he went to Fort Knox. They shipped us over there, and you didn't come home until it was over, or you got killed. That was the right. deal, right? And and now they, you know, they people talk about, well, he served three tours, and he may go back for another. In fact, my father came back for World War II and almost went back to Korea when Korea cranked up. 
Right, right. I, you know, I, I don't think that we were stronger, but we were stronger afterward because of the training that we received. I, I think that the discipline that we learned, the uh, use of firearms, the ability to get along with other guys and people in general, and uh, to obey orders when necessary, all of those things, I think, contributed to a generation that uh, was tougher than we would have been otherwise. Now, my- you know, some, I remember a lot of kids, who, uh, college kids, uh, who'd never worked a day in their lives, who had a lot of trouble adjusting to uh, the Army life. But once they gave in to it, I think they became better, better, better citizens. And I hate to see war producing something good, but I think that World War II did give us a generation of, of remarkably strong, uh, capable people. I agree. And men and women. Absolutely. My grandfather said that one of the best things that come out of the war for him was the GI Bill that was in place then. That he couldn't have done half the things that he did later in life without that strong GI Bill. Absolutely. I, I was able to, uh, I was on a scholarship before the war, but then after the war, I was able to go, had more freedom because of the GI Bill. It was a tremendous uh, boon to, to my, my, my career. We're talking with Earl Hamder. He's out in California. And we also have our good friend Tommy Stafford on the line in Nelson County, Virginia. And uh, the, the the thing I think would be more contrasting, I mean, going to New York City would be certainly and is different. But there, when you when you got to California, it was in the, was it in the late sixties, early seventies? It was uh, nineteen sixty. I think it was nineteen sixty one. I had been working in New York and in, at NBC as a radio writer, and then uh, I got into television, and television moved from New York to Los Angeles, and in 1961, I, I moved with it. Because I remember when Johnny Carson moved as well from New York City, that's where the Tonight Show had always originated from, and then he moved out to California, how big a deal that was, and... Uh... You know, it just because it was a huge tradi- uh, transition going from, you know, the city life of New York City and then to this bizarre world in California. <laughs> you said you got that right. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking with Earl Hamner, of course, the creator of The Waltons and many other fine productions. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and talk more about just how weird it was in California in the 60s when he got there. So stay with us. We also have Tommy Stafford in Nelson County, Virginia. Become a fantastic director too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Have you ever met Clint Eastwood, Earl Hamner? No, I haven't. I never have. His uh, his movies are just spectacular now. He's got one out now, hasn't he? A new one? Uh, there um, is. Which one is the last one I saw was Gran Torino, but he does have another one out uh, now, and I'm trying to think of what it is. It came out, or he's coming out. Uh, it's supposed to be really good. I, I know I saw the previews, and I thought, I want to see that. You know, just just in the back of my mind somewhere that he's got a really great movie still, that he's, he's still that that 
phenomenal. And when you talk to people, I've interviewed a number of people that have been in Cleastwood movies, and, uh, including Morgan Freeman, and they said that he's just such an uh, such a great person to work with. J. Edgar. J. Edgar Hoover, yeah, which really kind of surprised me with, that he would want to make a movie about J. Edgar Hoover, but you know, if Clint did it, it's going to be good. Yeah, my God. What a, what a twosome, J. Edgar Hoover and... Uh... <laughs> yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> but, you know, maybe there's... Clint always has a way of making it interesting. You sit there and go, well, how can you make a movie? Well, look at the one Grand Trio about a, a Korean War veteran in his declining years living in a ghetto neighborhood that used to be good but not good, no relationship with his family. And it was a great movie. <laughs> I mean, if you just read the scenario of it, you say, I don't think I want to see that. But right. it, it, <laughs> The other thing yep. is, and we're talking with Earl Hamner, of course, the creator of the Waltons, and, and the first, which the Spencer's Mountain was what generated the Waltons, and the Homecoming before that. And Tommy, we're also with uh, Tommy uh, Stafford in Nelson County, Virginia. You're talking about the, the production of the Homecoming that they're doing there in Nelson County? Well, they are. They, they, they're doing that over here now. Um, and, and Earl, again, will probably be modest, but... Uh, I'll say a little about it. The uh, in 2005, there was a, uh, a a guy up here by the name of Peter Coy that uh, founded this theater, and they named the theater in Earl's honor. So it's called the Hamner Theater. And one of the productions they try to do every year is the Homecoming. They do an actual live stage performance of the Homecoming, and it runs for uh, well this month. It's going about two weeks. And I was just telling Earl while we were in the break that uh, I just read they've already sold out tomorrow night. You can't even get a seat there. But that's kind of and, – and, and, of course, that's being brought back here to Nelson County, Virginia, which is kind of, you know, Earl's birthplace, and uh, kind of brings it back home, pardon the pun. But, uh, and, and, well, it is the know, homecoming. So, <laughs> it is the homecoming. But, you know, Earl, talk a little about, the, you know, that – and kind of walk through, because we, we touched on that briefly when we talked a few months ago back in the summer, but kind of how that whole thing unfolded and then eventually led into the Waltons. Oh, the, how the homecoming evolved. Right. Well, uh, um, I had I had written Spencer's Mountain about this family called the Spencers, and um, uh, it was made into a film with Henry Fonda and uh, Maureen O'Hara, and uh, it was a good movie, except that the, they shot it in the Grand Tetons. <laughs> in Wyoming. <laughs> instead of the, the, the Blue Ridge. But anyway, it was a very successful film. And uh, later I, I wrote a, a little novella about the same family based upon the fact that in 1933 my father uh, was working away from home over in Waynesboro. And um, usually on Friday nights he would come home. He, he boarded in the week, but on Friday nights he would come home, and it's usually there by dark. But this this particular night, uh, he dark came and no, no dad. And uh, we, as the night grew on, we became increasingly disturbed. And my mother finally said to me, "You go out and find your father." <laughs> and uh, so I went and had several adventures of. of looking for my father. You know, in, in literature, that's the classic theme, that a boy becomes a man when he discovers his father. And that that night, I, I discovered a lot about my father. And uh, eventually, he did arrive. And what had happened was that he had missed the, the, the bus, had been held up because of a bad snow, and he had walked 
six miles to get home. And he brought gifts for us. And uh, and out of that, that actual happening, I wrote the, the novel, The Homecoming. But while we're talking about that, I have to tell you a funny thing my father used to do. Um, around, as Christmas got closer, uh, he would go outside and make a big racket. And... Um, then he'd come in the house and he'd be carrying a bag of candy. And and he, and he we'd say, Dad, what, what happened out there? He said, listen, I was an old man with a red suit out there and, <laughs> and I'm in a sleigh, the damnedest thing I ever saw in my life. I don't know who he was, but uh, I, I wrestled with him and, I, and got this bag of stuff from him. And he opened the bag and there was a bag of chocolates. And we said, Dad, that was Santa Claus. And he said, well, I'll be damned if he didn't know. Well, and that actually was in the homecoming, right, or a similar scene. I used that. that in the homecoming, and, and he he did it every Christmas. But he he was such a dramatist. I think that's why I, one of the things that made me become a writer is that to well, have a father that would well, dramatize. And, and that is, that we talked about this the other day on the show is that um, it's about storytelling, and that's what you do is you you tell stories. Yeah. And but you in the South, and I don't know if they do it as much in the North. I'm sure they do, but there are so many great Southern writers because of the tradition of telling stories. Like your father told you, I grew up in a family that we sat around and we ate dinner together. You know how what a novel idea, and everybody would tell stories. You know what did you do today? And yes. I and I yes. remember. As a, a young kid, that was one of the most frustrating things. We'd be down at my grandfather's ranch, and we'd all sit around the room, and, and they'd be telling them stories about things that happened to them and these exciting stories and funny stories. I got no stories. I'm sitting there going, <laughs> and they, they were I, wonderful stories. And, so, and if, if you just listen to your, your elders, I remember my grandfather once told about running across a bear back in the backwoods, and it, it was plausible that he could have, and uh, he, he, he had a fight with the bear, and then we would say, and, and, and what happened? And my grandfather would say, he killed me. <laughs> <laughs> you don't call this living, do you? <laughs> well, but it is, and it's, did you ever think, though, when you, when you first wrote that, that little treatment, that story, The Homecoming, that it would lead to all that it has led in your life? I never did because in those days in television, they they were very sparse in uh, spending money, and um, it was a huge cast. So I thought for that reason alone, it would never be done. And then even after there was some publicity about the fact that we were making the uh, the series, a lot of very uh, well-known critics would say, who wants to watch a show about poor people in the backwoods of Virginia during the Depression? Well, yeah. it turned out a lot of people did, and still <laughs> and do. And still do. Well, and you mentioned the last time we talked that you'd gone to the head of uh, CBS out in California with your idea, which I still think is a fabulous idea. And, I th- and I've mentioned it many times to many different people since then. And you know what, Earl? They all agree. They think it's a great idea as well about having descendants of the Walton's family from Walton's Mountain that now are out in California living the rat race life, saying, what if we went back to Nelson County and lived a more simpler life, much as Tommy and his family have done? And, and they, they've done a very successful 
uh, transfer there. And in and people like Tommy, and, and I don't like to say nice things about him, but <laughs> he does have a big head already. In rich Nelson County, I, I have a copy of Tommy's paper right in front of me today, and it's just. Even the cover is gorgeous. It's called Bittersweet Tradition, and I just looked at the main story. It's about a, a woman who makes Christmas wreaths out of holly and cypress and juniper berries. and It's just a beautiful story, but it's also gorgeously, richly illustrated with, uh, with, with color, and, and uh, it's, it's just a thrill for me to see it. Tommy, that's the last nice thing, last <laughs> nice thing I'm going to say about you today. Hey, I'll, I'll send I'll send you your twenty dollar bill after I hang up. <laughs> but you know, he, really, Tommy's oh, it's, living it's a beautiful edition. <laughs> but Tommy Stafford and his family—they're really living what you're trying to pitch to to CBS about about doing an updated version of the Waltons. And and, and what was the reaction you said that the, the head of the CBS program out there said? You don't think they could keep it on the air long enough to find a sponsor, which I was just shocked over. Right, right. It was a nice idea about uh, a, a family from Virginia who grow tired, fed up with life in California, and decide to move back to the home place, which is all that's left of the home place is a chimney and, wow. and an orchard. And the guy decides to go back and renovate the orchard and to re- and to build a house on the foundations of his own family's home. And it was is and was a good idea, but uh, and. Because I've been so successful for CBS, I got to go to the head man, a guy named Les Moonves, and he said, Earl, that's a great idea, and you could do it well. But he said it would take me six episodes to get an audience, and in that six episodes, I would lose a ton of money. And I said, Les, give me the commitment, and you know I've kept my shows on for 10 years at least, and I'll, I'll keep this one on for 10. And he said, I admire your arrogance, but I can't. (laughs) (laughs) And I I still am trying to sell that that idea. And someday somebody's going to see, because I get a tremendous amount of mail, and it all says, we wish we would see something else like the Waltons. Not the Waltons. We did that. But But another show that... And what what they're asking for, Earl, I truly believe, is a show about values. That uh, we had a young lady on yesterday that yep. is m- mentoring young ladies who don't come from families that, that like the ones we were all fortunate enough to grow up in that taught you values and taught you what was right and what was wrong, and what you do in this situation, what you don't do in this situation. And so they're in there, if you watch television today, most of the shows show the children being very disrespectful of the parents, make it a big joke. You know, dad's an idiot. Mom doesn't know what's going on. And the kids are all the smart people. But, right. And, right. And so what they're asking for when they're saying, please, Earl Hamner, do something else. What they're asking for is another show that teaches value without all the, you know, the, the yeah. Hollywood junk, as I call it. Okay. I, I tune in television and... I, I just can't believe what what I I, I see. Um, it's not just bad language. What, what I think that people in television, the, the creators, the uh, programmers, overlook is that television had its ability to ennoble people, to teach them, to so they could learn, uh, and to recognize what is good in mankind rather than what is, uh, is negative. And and that's gone. The, the 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 image 
of a human being on television is of somebody I don't know them. They they you don't want to know them. <laughs> you can say that. I, I'm, and I'm just going out on a limb here. I'm thinking maybe Earl Hamner is not a fan of South Beach. I'm just saying. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe you like it. You well, know, I did have I did have an idea the other day, and I may actually send it to a friend who does uh, animation. It's called the Roly Polies. And it's about a family uh, who come who live in uh, Kentucky in a coal mine area, and the mine closes, and they'd have to do something to make a living. So they watch television and they see all the fat people losing weight. So they come to Hollywood, and it's it's like the uh, uh, Beverly Hillbillies, except they're all fat. <laughs> I'd watch Everybody that. in the family is over three hundred pounds. Cam, Cam, my producer says, "I'd watch it. I'd watch that." <laughs> <laughs> The Roly Polies. I even like the name of it. We're talking with Earl Hamner. We got Tommy Stafford out in Nelson County, Virginia. Earl's, of course, in the Hollywood Hills. We hate you. And uh, <laughs> we're going to take a quick traffic break, but at least we don't have traffic like you do out there. You got to live with that as well as the wonderful weather. Although he says it was the wind has been just merciless lately, but it has stopped blowing. So, but we're going to return with more with the famous Earl Hamner. In just a minute, so stay with us right here on the Earl Farrell Show on AM 990. Let's go to Samtown Traffic, Vegas action, Southern style with Heather York. Cadillac. And welcome back to the Earl Farrell Show on a Thursday afternoon. We've got the, the world-famous Earl Hamner out in Hollywood. we got Tommy Stafford, also world-famous, just not as worldly. <laughs> not quite. <laughs> he, he's reverted back to country living in the Nelson County, Virginia. And uh, we were talking a little bit ago about uh, Earl's idea of, of, of updating the whole Walton's concept and having a, a, the descendants of the Waltons go back to the kind of the roots of their family and nothing left but a chimney on the old homestead, rebuilding and, and starting over again and going back to a simpler way of life. And everybody I tell this this idea, this concept to, their eyes, they, they, they get a little smile on their face and you see their eyes and they're thinking because you're seeing this, this, this picture in their mind. And they go, I love it. I have not talked to one person who doesn't love it, which makes me wonder, do you think that people in Hollywood have gotten in, and you live out there, you, you're around them all the time. In fact, I love that movie, Get Shorty, with John Travolta, because it was about that whole thing. Everybody in Hollywood thinks they got some kind of lock on what's good and what's not good. And then they try to feed it to the middle of the country, and sometimes we take it and sometimes we don't. Exactly. Most, I think most of the Hollywood executives know nothing about the middle of the country except that they've flown over it, and that, and that's kind of sad. And also, it's, it's, um, um, over the years, there's been an expression, 
to to in to test to to enlarge the envelope. I forget the exact expression, but it means to push the envelope, which means to become a little more daring. And in that competition for what they think is the way to get ratings, they, they they've gone overboard. And um, and I don't know if there's any way to get back. I sometimes think that if the audience were to realize that the actually the air that television goes out on belongs to them. It's it's it belongs to the audience. And if they were to boycott or or just have a more effective voice to the networks, um, well, they're doing it. Look at the look at the drop in ratings on on, on television news. And and I work at local news here on Fox, but they they're watching the shows that they want to watch. Now the young people they're watching the the, the these shows that I guess and young people are always going to watch something like that because they're you know they're, we're dummies at that age. But the people that uh, that listen to this show and there are a lot of them and more all the time, they are looking for something a little bit more intelligent, yeah. something they can kind of get something from that's entertaining in a in a, in a really a dignified, sophisticated way. Also, you know the the amount of 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 course we need uh, uh, advertising to to sponsor uh, these programs, but uh, they're, they're, they're an insulting amount of, of advertising. I, I timed a show not long ago, and <laughs> in an hour show, there was uh, uh, about 30 minutes of programming, and the rest of it was, was uh, announcements and, and commercials. I'll tell you the, what it kills me is Hallmark, because I love the stories, but they yeah. start off and they'll, they'll only run like about three minutes worth of commercials of the first hour. And, and that's when they hook you. Yeah. And then as the movie continues, they run more and more commercials. And by the end, you can't even remember what the story is about because of the no. commercials are so long. Cam? Yeah. Well, yeah. I just just a quick question. You know, and this dovetails into what you all are saying. Essentially, all the... I think eventually there will be a revolt. All the networks and all the, the different outlets are going to more reality-based TV shows, which are not reality at all. No. Uh, and, and all these, and they're going to different types of programs that's cheaper to produce. We also know that there's a lot of cable channels out there now. Is there room for a channel that does scripted drama? Because that's what I like to watch. Well, and that's what Earl's talking about, is, is a, a show like The Walton, which is scripted drama. Where you, But I do think... And I do because I run into them and I have them as sponsors of this show. There are people out there that do believe in values, do believe in wanting to create something that actually does more than just titillate and and make people compel them to watch because of the outrageousness of it. Well, TNT, for instance, they go they they say we know drama. Is there a market for a channel that does just that? Yeah. Well, home box office does, but mm. they don't do the kind of shows that we're talking about. Right. That's what. And, and when you look at uh, Mad Men, is probably the most tame AC. of the of the thing, but it was very successful. And it, I don't know how the one that was about Pan Am, the flight attendants, the pilots, jury's still out. Uh, is it because I've never even got to see? It must come on after eight o'clock. It does, and there's a hiatus on the show now. Oh, there is because it was, but it, the production quality on that, I mean. And Earl, you could you remember what it was like to fly in the early days of, of commercial travel? Everybody dressed up. the The flight attendants were stewardesses then, and they were gorgeous. Yes, indeed. Well, it was an event. Absolutely. In fact, everybody wanted to go to the airport to pick up whoever's flying in because it was like going and picking up a celebrity. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And on Sunday afternoon, you'd drive over to the airport to watch the planes land. <laughs> it was it was amazing. <laughs> and and, and the, the, everybody treated the people that flew like yeah. they were somebody, and the food was great. And yeah. the sir, and now, did you hear the, uh, of course, he probably deserved it, but uh, what's his name, the actor on 30 Rock, he gets oh, thrown right. off a plane, Baldwin. Yeah. But then there was another case of some women and men, and they were like lawyers and a therapist, and so they all got thrown off a plane because this woman told the flight attendant he was roughing up her baggage in the overhead, and he told her to shut up and threw her and two other people off the plane. It ain't the same anymore. <laughs> they, they they should, the way some of those people pack those overhead bins. I, 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 I hate to – we always fly first class, but uh, and frequently there will be a celebrity in first class, and they are always the way that uh, actor was. They, 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 if they're they entitled – to, they didn't get the right the seat that they wanted. They're entitled to ask people to move around. It's it's a it's kind of an expectation expectation of to being re- received the way they on a plane the way they are in uh, well and and I I, I know what you're saying. And here's my daughter who's 17 and she works in a local uh, restaurant and she said and the people there it's an area where everybody has they're they're comfortable. And she said, "You wouldn't believe how many people are so rude to come in." And she's the 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 hostess, you know, the one that greets me at the door. And the, she said, "They're just so rude, Dad." And I go, "Unfortunately, there's a lot of people that think if they made a little money, they can treat everybody else a certain way." I yeah. said, "But you don't have to take it. Look yeah. at them and say you are being rude." Yeah. Well, I, I see a lot of that here. Uh, when we first came to California, I don't. I, I, I think there was a more People were more gracious and polite, but now to walk down the street in Beverly Hills, you have to dodge people on their telephones. Uh, you have to dodge traffic. Um, you, it's 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 dangerous, you know. <laughs> well, it, it, there's just a, a general. Although I, I will say that it still exists in so many places, and I, I I greet everybody I come in contact with. So therefore, when I run across somebody like at a Starbucks the other day, where I we, I made a comment with her with our local morning weather guy, and she didn't even respond to us. And I said, I know what it was. She had on shorts, and it was snowing. And uh-huh. she was inside making coffee. And uh, so the weatherman, Brian, he goes, hey, where are your pants? And she just looked, cut her eyes over and looked at us, and, and I and didn't say a word. I said, evidently, where your personality is, not here. And, right. <laughs> and she gave me another darted look. And But the thing is, if you're and, and that's a good thing about the South, and even in Memphis, if you're polite to people, say, "Hey, how you doing? Morning. What's going on?" Ninety percent of the people are going to respond in kind. There's always I, rude people, but but you go to some places now, and in, in L.A., I'm not a big fan of L.A.s. I mean, it's, it's just there are n- nice people there. You certainly are a gentleman and a nice person, but you have to fight it all the time. Indeed, you know that. They, I think the way we are raised south of the Mason-Dixon line is sometimes a, a disadvantage because I remember many times uh, in, in New York, I'd be walking down the street and just automatically say good morning to somebody. Yep. And they'd look at him at me like, what's wrong with him? What's, what's he really after? Well, and that's, that is the way they look at you in New York. It's like they don't talk to you because they think the next word is, uh, let me show you the three-card money here. And uh, So we're talking with Earl Hamner. He's out in uh, crazy Los Angeles. And uh, we've got Tommy Stafford on in Nelson County, Virginia. We've got to take a break. 
We'll be right back and have more great discussion with some really interesting people. I think you'll like this. Stay with us right here on the Earl Farrell Show on AM 990. Fly me to the moon. Let me play among the stars. And let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words, hold my hand. In other words, baby, kiss me. How did all these people get in my room? Come fly with me, we'll fly, we'll fly away. If you can use some exotic booze, there's a bar in far Bombay. Come on, fly with me, we'll fly, we'll fly away. And welcome back to the Earl Farrell Show. We're flying you back in kind of some time right here, back when things were good on television. And one of the guys that created so much of it is with us today, Earl Hamner. He's out in sunny Southern California in the Hollywood Hills. And uh, it is beautiful out there. Every time I go out there, I sit there and I go, I'm amazed at the light. The light is so different from the light in the in this part of the world. It's a very white light. It's beautiful, Earl. Listen, we've been talking a lot about how a boy from the backwoods of Virginia got to Hollywood. I'd like to know how a boy from West Texas got to Memphis. I got a divorce. <laughs> <laughs> I want to go into detail. <laughs> well, I, I, I married young. I was 21 and thought I was ready, you know, and, and I was married five years. And we didn't have children, and and I just kept thinking, man, the rest of my life. And uh, so I just said, look, you know, I don't think this is working out. Here's everything. I'll just take the the little car here and you can have everything. And I I left. And so I kept running to all these people in Dallas and said, I can't believe you left Linda. And I went, I know I'm a rat. So I moved. (laughs) I said, I don't want to hear that anymore. And I didn't know. Had you been in broadcasting before? Yes. I, I majored in radio, television, film. In fact, a, uh, I had an English teacher that told me in high school, uh-huh. she said, Earl, you should really think about writing for television. And I said, uh-huh. well, like what? I mean, I'm thinking, you know, Dick Van Dyke. I said, I don't know how to write for that kind of stuff. She said, you're very creative and you should, you should really develop that and you should write. And oh, yeah. so I go, to, but I never thought I'd end up going into broadcasting or but I had a roommate at the University of Texas named Lee Majors, not, not the Lee Majors who was a million dollar man, but uh, but it got a lot of girls to come over to my apartment because I said, "Yeah, my roommate's Lee Majors." <laughs> they go, "Really? Can I come meet him?" I said, "Sure." But uh, he had a job at a radio station in Austin at KTBC, and he had this three ninety SS three ninety six with with the KTBC painted on the sides, and he got to drive around town that thing, and the girls just went wild. I went. I think this is a business for me. <laughs> so I got into it. And fortunately, my very first news director was a guy named Bill Mitchell in, in Odessa, back in my hometown. And he said very simply, Earl, we're just telling stories. And it's got to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. And if you can make the story, you know, touch people, you will be successful in this business. And so... Basically, that's what I've been doing for 40 years. That's great. And you, you went directly in into on-the-air work. You, you didn't do any back, 
Good. Actually, I started on the floor in the studio uh, running. Actually, I wasn't even running camera. I was like a floor director where you'd say, stand by. Yeah. And then a little bit later, you go, we're in break. <laughs> and then I would I would take alcohol at the end of the night, rubbing alcohol. We'd clean the cables to the camera. I bet they don't do that anymore. The big black cable that would come out from the bottom of the camera, the platform, that had this big triangular black uh, bases to the studio cameras. And we would clean those. We would clean the grid up above where all the lights were hung. For we clean that about once a month. And I bet they don't do that anymore either. And and so the first job I got was booth announcing. And that's where you go in there. I was in there with Dan Kalanick, and we would say, "You're listening to KOSA TV, Midland, Odessa." Yeah. And you know, read all the breaks for the whole day. And we would do right. that when I'd first get to the station every morning, and then. So the two of us would sit in there, and he was such a he was a great mentor. And then Bill Mitchell was my news director. The first on air thing I did was the weather. And Tommy was did, did you was weather the first thing, or did you do news first? No, I did news first, but I, I had a natural knack at weather, and and kind of got thrown into it, and they loved it. And um, I, well, that's my word, but I guess they did because they put me back on again, and they said. Wow, we didn't know that was kind of because you know weather is kind of all it's just kind of personality. It is. It's all ad lib. I can I can I always say this now. You can teach someone meteorology. You cannot teach someone personality. No, you can't. And, right. and there's a big difference. And, well, and and a lot of people hadn't figured that out. Well, you you can't teach cool. You know. <laughs> yeah, it's just you, you know everybody recognizes it, but you either you you have something about you that people say, hey, you know, that's really kind of cool what you just did. And, but, and Earl, I mean, the, the things you've written over the years, and people go, how do you do that? You go, well, I just do it. But you can't teach that. I think you have to have a personal, a special personality. Like, like uh, I worked on the Today Show very briefly once, and uh, uh, Dave Garraway, you, maybe you're too young. To no, no, we all know who he is. Garraway was- had that ability to talk directly to the listener and they yeah and they, you felt like he was talking to you who, who, who do you admire to, in today's television what about some of those uh, late night guys that we don't have johnny around anymore and i miss him oh don't we all yeah and and, and here's the thing because i watch him at cam I, I don't get to stay up that late because i have to go to bed at, at eight cause i watch them but there are they have moments that i think they're really funny but they're in so many cases they're mean-spirited yeah, and Johnny Carson was never mean spirited. One is not really that mean spirited, and I would say Craig Ferguson to me, Craig Ferguson is the funniest like. guy yeah. in late night. And he's late late, but of the Jay, Jay Leno and and David Letterman, David Letterman could really be nasty to people. Yeah, Len- I, I, he he he's, is, he hates people. I <laughs> mean, one I, used to I like, was a big uh, Tom uh, Snyder fan. I, I like Tom Snyder. Yes, yes, yes. and and remember uh, Steve Allen. Yes. Love Steve, Steve Allen, Allen had that same quality that Garraway had, and uh, that we miss a lot. I think. Well, but look at the talent. I mean, Steve Allen could do anything. He could play any instrument. He could sing. He could write. He could dance. Uh, he was a great comedian. He was a great interviewer. But see, that's what I think is good about Ferguson. He tears up his cards before he even interviews a guest. He interviews like you do, Earl. He uh, off the cuff. And spontaneous. That's the way he yeah, does it. We're, and we're, I respect that. What are you talking about? I had my list of Earl questions today. I just hadn't gotten to them. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, but the, the, I do so miss Johnny Carson and that, what, a, what a great talent he was. I think everybody knew it then, and they really know it now because 
as as much as everybody tries to have the talk show like Johnny Carson, nobody's ever done that since him. And, and I, I read an in, it, interesting interview with um, um, uh, having having a senior moment here. <laughs> Frank Sinatra's son, Frank Jr. Weekend in which he was talking about his father and how people romanticize him and uh, and try to figure out why he was popular instead uh, in addition to his voice and he was saying that the, that the that the man that we saw on television was was the man that really was that there was, he had no affectations he he no pretensions that he led a simple life i know he was in love with Ava Gardner and had some good good things that like that to happen but uh, evidently, he was quite a down-to-earth kind of guy. Well, he was himself. And I think if yeah, you look back you at, at most people, if they really are themselves, because you can only fake somebody else for a while, you know, and then sooner or later, yeah. everybody's going to figure out, well, that's not really you. And uh, But, I mean, you're out there with all these actors. How many of them are totally, totally different from the, the characters they play in a movie or a television series? And then yeah. you meet them in person, and I've met so many in interviewing over the years, and you go, well, how could you come up with such an interesting personality in television? You have zero in real life. Yeah, I, I, I had one experience like that, that, that I met somebody that I had sort of revered, and that was Henry Fonda, because I actually wanted him to play the father in The Homecoming. And uh, he, sa- he said, uh, listen, I admire that uh, book. I love homespun material. But that is uh, that show belongs to the boy, and I don't play second fiddle to a fifteen-year-old boy. <laughs> but you know, I, I had a chance to to meet this man at I'd only seen on screen, and he turned out to be a very down-to-earth, humble guy, with, with again with no airs, no pretension, just straightforward, and somebody you liked. And which is another question we're kind of talking about. Who do you know? Like if you live in L.A., does everybody go, I know a guy named Bob Smith. You know Bob? But everybody does think that if you're in show business out there, you know everybody else in show business. <laughs> but but you've gotten to meet a lot of them. And, uh, you know, it's like are, are they when you go to uh, CBS uh, in Television City or whatever they call it there in Burbank, and you've got all these shows that are taped there, and all these people are there all the time. And we've got to take a quick break here, and we'll get into this and, and come back to it. But when you see those people, are they open to – because I know when they make movies in Memphis, a lot of the the, the bit players and the, the cast are so told not to speak to the stars unless they speak to you, which I think is kind of crummy, but they do that. But we're talking with Earl Hamner. We've got Tommy Stafford in Virginia, and Earl's out in California. We'll take a quick traffic break, come back and find out if those stars are nice to people like Earl, who they should be. We'll find out. Coming back. Stay with us. Right now, let's go to Samstown Traffic, Vegas action, Southern Style with Heather York. Oh, the weather outside is frightful, but the fire is so delightful. And since we've no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Ah, somebody I love, Mr. Dino Martin. He's always a big fan of Dean's and Cam played Crank Sinatra earlier. And uh, welcome back to the Earl Farrell Show. We've had a wonderful afternoon of discussion with Earl Hamner. Of course, the, the brains behind the Waltons and 
and uh, Falcon's Crest and Heidi. Do you still get people that come up to you and go, because that was, you had nothing to do with the, interrupting a football game to run your movie, but, but at the same time, that was, a, that was a, an event that went down in history. That's true. Yes, that was a, it was the uh, production of Heidi, I think it was. Uh-huh. Uh, the, the Jets and the... Raiders. Yeah, were, were, had tied at the end of the game, and uh, NBC put Heidi on and, and let the viewers watching the, the game hanging. <laughs> and they jammed the, um, the switchboard at, um, <laughs> at, at, at NBC. And... Somebody got fired, and even yeah, and it was a historic input. And well, it was, and, and for from then on, anytime you mentioned Heidi, I don't care. It, it that's what the, everybody knows the movie from that. I mean, it was a great movie, but <laughs> the you know when, when when we got to the end of our of our together this year, I, I would like to read just a couple of paragraphs from something I wrote for Will Gear. It's called Grandpa Walton's Christmas Prayer, and it was about uh, oh. Uh, 45 seconds. No, let's do it right now. Okay. Uh, this is Grandpa Walton's Christmas prayer, which Will, I wrote for Will Gear. It said, what is Christmas? It's a time when some of your dreams come true. Every year it rolls around and takes you by surprise some of the time, especially when you're as close to as 100 years old as I am. You think it won't, it's time for another one, but here it is with all its hope and joy and promise and wishes that might come true. You're probably wondering what I wish for. What would an old man wish for? Maybe I think I would wish to be young again, but I don't yearn for youth any longer. Being young is a painful thing. Being young and in love to boot, which most young people are, is even more agony. I'll tell you what I wish. I wish for the power to return some of the love that's been given me. I wish that the time and place for all that giving could be commemorated like the heart I, cried, I carved on the tree around your grandmother and my initials. I wish, too, for more days in my life. I wish for time, time to help children to know some of the beauty of this earth that's been revealed to me. A drop of water is a wondrous thing. A spade full of earth is a kingdom in itself. A cloud is worth watching as it passes from one horizon to the other. A bird building its nest is as wondrous as men building the pyramid, and any green thing that grows is proof that God exists. It all comes to focus at Christmas. Will Will wow. used to love to do that, and he would do it in auditoriums. It was it was he, he memorized it. Uh, it's beautiful. I, I and I loved Will so much that I wanted to to do something for him, and 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 that was the little prayer I wrote for him, which. He all but used whenever he was in in any kind of uh, program. We had a lady on the show recently who had been an actress in New York and uh, was in the theater company with Will Gear when he was in New York as a young yeah. man, and yeah. was had some very wonderful stories to talk to tell about him and about how gracious he was then, and uh, how much how much fun she had living in New York City and, and being in that acting troupe. Well, we could also be a wicked old thing. Once uh, he was uh, traveling through Virginia, and uh, he stopped to see my mother. He and a driver uh, stopped to see my mother, and it got late, and my mother invited them to have dinner, and they stayed to dinner. Then it was late, and it was he was on his way to New York, and 
And my mother said, well, you all, it's late. Why don't you all spend the night? And uh, Will slept in my old bed in the upstairs room. And um, Nate later, that, that he was in uh, on the Today Show, and Johnny Carson said, uh, Will, what you been up to? And uh, Will said, knowing exactly what he was doing, he said, uh, I spent last night with Earl Hamner's mother down in, down in Virginia. <laughs> My mother called me and said, don't you ever tell that old wicked old man to ever come here again. <laughs> well, <laughs> he knew what he was doing. He knew what he was doing. Yeah. <laughs> well, he, he was a wonderful actor, though. And there was another part that he played, Jeremiah Johnson, I think he was just fabulous in, where he played the he old mouth man. Yes, yes. Yeah. Of of all the, uh, the the things that you've produced, of course, you, Walton's, I know that, and Spencer's Mountain and the Homecoming, but of all the things you've done over the years, when you sit back and look at your body of work, what is it that maybe was the most difficult thing that turned out a lot different than you thought, but that you look at and and kind of say, you know, that was something that was because I was able to pull that one off, or or what is your? I, I something comes up to mind immediately. Uh, when I first came out here, um, uh, I had not done film, and so I was at a disadvantage because all the producers would say, uh, what have you got on film? And I didn't have anything on film. But I had met Rod Serling years ago, and uh, and he had the Twilight Zone on, and I thought, well, I know Rod, and but I don't, I don't think I can write fantasy. I don't know that I can do that. But uh, as the money got lower and lower and I got more desperate, I sent Rod a note and said, I, I have a couple of ideas I'd like to to show you. And I, I enclosed the two ideas and shortly uh, got a uh, approval from him to do both of the stories. And I had never thought I could do that kind of show, but uh, I did, and I... Oddly enough, uh, a lot of young people today don't know some of the other th stuff that I've done, but they do know my Twilight Zone stories and uh, Wh which ones were they? Longevity that uh, I would not have had otherwise. Well, he's he's you know they're, he's back on. I watched him uh, two nights ago, and uh, so what were the two episodes? The first one was about an old man who is out hunting, and uh, he's his dog is threatened. By a raccoon, and he jumps in the to the pond to save his dog, and uh, and he wakes up, and he's at a strange place, and he and the dog are wandering along a country road, and they come to a place, and they the guy says this is heaven, and they and and the old and he says we've been waiting for you, and come on in, and the old man starts in, but they said you can't bring that dog in here, so the old man won't go in, but he goes on further down the road. And there is another uh, gate, and this one turns out to be really the gate of heaven. And, of course, they allow dogs into heaven, and so the old guy enters. Oh, what a great story. And a nice it, story. And, and the other one, really quickly, we're running out of time. What was the other one? we got one minute. Oh, the other one's about uh, two young people wandering around a, a deserted town, and they can't find their way out of it. But during the show, you keep hearing the child's laughter. And it, finally, you see these two people in the hands of a little girl, and you hear a mother's voice saying, Be careful with your pets, dear. Father brought them all the way from Earth. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you do were, write great fantasy. They were fun to do. Earl Hamner, I can't believe it's been an hour and a half. Thank you so much. You're, you're a delight to spend the afternoon with, and I hope we can do it again very soon. 
I hope I would look forward to that. And thank you, and thank Tommy. Tommy, and you, Merry Christmas, Merry to Christmas everyone. to you both, and everyone else. We'll talk to you later. We'll be back okay, with more. Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Earl. All right, West Coast Earl. <laughs> Tommy, thank you, sir. All right, we'll be back. Stay with us right here on AM nine ninety.